some fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey guys, welcome to episode 327 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. And this is our last story for Halloween. Wowzer. So we made it a good one. We hope you guys have enjoyed all the... Uh, the Halloween episodes we put out, because of course we had our Halloween episode, mm -hmm. and then uh, we were participating in a Nightmare Before Halloween, a two-parter that uh, Shane put together. So I released that one the other day. So you've had literally about seven hours, eight hours, about eight hours worth of extra Halloween bonus stuff. Dang. Over, I feel like this has been the longest month ever. It's like 55 podcasts combined between those two specials. Oh, daggone. That's a lot. <laughs> well, that's awesome, though. Yep, that was pretty good. Well, Tracy, we always want to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you so much for what you guys, gals, and service animals do every single day. That is correct. We pray for you guys every single day. Always on our minds, and thank you for watching us and having our backs. Speaking of civil servants, um, special thoughts and prayers go out to the Hines family. We uh, lost Alan uh, earlier this week, as we're recording this, actually two days ago. And uh, his wife, Tanya, is a really good friend of ours. She's a nurse. Her two daughters are both nurses. So uh, that family full of civil servants are really suffering right now. So special thoughts and prayers to their family. Amen to that. All right, Tracy, you know, just like in that situation we talked about, there's a lot of people going through things right now. There's a lot of suffering going on, no matter what the reason could be a death in the family. It could be just depression. It could just be financial woes. And uh, we just want people to know that, you know, it's never, as bad as you think it is, time does heal all wounds. And, you know, we want people to know that you, you have to give things time. And sometimes that means not making rash decisions and doing something that if you just gave it a little more time, you wouldn't have done. So that's why we urge everybody to talk to people, talk to your friends, talk to your family, uh, talk to us if you want to. But if you're going through something, I promise you it's going to get better and talk to somebody and, and buy yourself some time until you realize it for yourself. That's correct. It's uh, been a hard week for us even, losing Alan and, you know, I don't know. It's been a, it's just a, been a really hard week. Um, so we just appreciate uh, people reaching out to Tanya and everything. And um, if you need to go another route, you can call 988-741-741. There's always somebody here that can make it happen and listen to you and all that stuff. So don't be afraid to reach out. I'm very low. 
All right, Tracy, so we got a great response from last week's Stratford Poltergeist episode. Good. So one of the responses was from Joe Dickinson, and he suggested another poltergeist story. And I did some research on it, and I thought that would be the perfect subject for this last episode before Halloween. Well, good, good, good. Can't wait to hear it. All right. The events that would eventually be known as the Baldoon Mystery is a spine-tingling story from Canada that's nearly 200 years old. Well, that's a long time. It is. It has everything that you would want in a classic Halloween time of the year ghost story. You got some scary noises, some life-threatening incidents, unexplained invisible forces, and a mystery ending that will leave you with more questions than you have answers. Nice. So are you ready to jump right in? Let's do it. All right. Before we do, I need to mention that we have Jeff Waldridge on the show tonight. Jeff is everything. I mean, he is literally, he owns a ghost tour in Lawrenceburg. He is now over top of the uh, the haunted hotel that's there now. That's a good paranormal draw that's been on some television episodes. Awesome. So he's now over top of that. He originally uh, was one of the original uh, starters of Scarefest in Lexington. Oh, wow. Yeah. And well, when, like, you, get the, you said original starter? Yeah, like, when oh, it okay. first, like, like when the first very started. first Scarefest was him and Patty Starr. Oh, nice. They're the ones that started it. And they just had their 15th year, so. Well, thank you for that, sir. And then he's a member of uh, uh, Creepy People Talent Agency. <laughs> so he represents most of the big names in the paranormal world. And he's one of the, one of the uh, uh, creators of CryptidCon. And he sleeps when? Uh, apparently never. Because <laughs> he does have a day job as well. Oh, my goodness. So, Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, but he's going to be on the show. So, uh, it's a it's a really cool, it's a long one. It's about an, uh, almost an hour long interview. But good. it's fascinating from start to finish. Well, good. And he tells an awesome story about him and Nick Groff and Mike Couch when they were on that mountain. Oh, yeah. We've touched on it before, but he actually tells the entire story. Oh, good. And it's it's pretty, he's pretty funny storyteller when he talks about it. <laughs> well, good. And I talked to Mike Couch about that the other day, and he said, I'll guarantee when he talked about it, he, he brought up, I almost died, or I thought I was going to die, because he brings it up every time he tells the story. <laughs> I said, he did. He oh, did. my gosh. Well, he has to have a dramatic part in it. That's right. All right. So let, let's get into some history of the Baldwin Settlement. Okay. All right. So the original concept of the settlement actually came from a gentleman by the name of Lord Selkirk from the Scottish Highlands. Now, you got to know at this time, uh, the Scottish Highlands were pretty much running people out of there. They were like displacing people and say, you can't live here anymore. And this Lord Selkirk, he did some looking into the North America area up in Canada, where present day uh, Wallaceburg is in South Ontario, and he found some land, and he bought the land, and he said, we'll move some people over there. Okay, okay but it was his decision to tell them he had to move? Or? No, it wasn't his decision. Oh, okay. It was just happening there, so he said, hey, let's go find a place. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. So they go over there and find a place, and he wanted it to mirror his home country in every way, so much so that he imported sheep and persuaded at least 15 families from his home country to be a part of this new adventure. Oh, nice. Now... Here's where kind of things started off being bad. He hired three people to go over there, build some housing for the farm. Mm -hmm. So when they got there in September, they could just start their first crops. Okay. 
Problem was, he sent three men and seven barrels of whiskey. <laughs> so when the families got over there, because keep in mind, he couldn't text somebody and say, hey, yo, we're running behind or something. When the family got over there. Nothing was done. Nothing was done. Oh, Lord. They ended up finding like some sails from some boats and made tents and stuff out of them. They were very crafty people. Oh, my and that's gosh. So there was no housing or anything for them. So that was the very beginning. And one of the three men died of alcohol poisoning. Oh. So, yeah, they literally were doing nothing but just come over and, and drink and doing nothing. Was there a bunch of crooked roads? I don't think they made roads. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Anyway, they all arrived September 5th, 1804. And, of course, they were full of hope and optimism until they you know, found out we got no place to live and there's none of the farmland is ready. Dude, I bet that guy was pissed. <laughs> I guarantee. All that was going to change once they realized all the stuff. And they also realized, guess what? The land that they bought was a swampy piece of land. Oh, man, come just on. Just in time for malaria season. <gasps> come on. Yeah, everything was going bad. So as you would probably suspect it, and I'm guessing the guy probably bought it on Craigslist, sight unseen, <laughs> and he just had no clue. <laughs> anyway, as you probably suspected, the settlement got off to a very rough start, which was just the beginning of many difficult years that lay ahead. So what was so bad about it? Well, the swampland was so hard to grow crops on, the sheep weren't uh, thriving like they did right. over there in Scotland. Disease also routinely swept through the settlement, killing members of the settlement. The settlement superintendent, a gentleman by the name of Alex MacDonald, he tried to solve the issues by throwing some of Lord Selkirk's money at him, uh, but it didn't work, and the settlement ultimately failed. On top of that, this, uh, <laughs> this Alexander MacDonald, he didn't like the people. He he was very condescending of them. He would write back and tell them that they were very stupid people and they were illiterate and this oh, and that. Oh, so, is that right? Yeah. Well, a jerk, so, in other words. Eventually, the people revolted against him. Well, good. So then the colony was invaded by Americans. Actually, it was the, a group out of Kentucky. No way. Yes. Uh, during, during the War of 1812. And they, like, stole all their sheep. These were, like, very expensive sheep. They stole all their sheep. And all this stuff. And and it, a lot of the original settlers said, you know what? That's enough. Um, Wait, Kentucky people stole their sheep? Yes. Oh, that's rude. Yeah. But it was during the War of 1812. So, I mean, it was, this was actually, they were just one of the troops that was mm -hmm. from the state of Kentucky. It wasn't just like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? You want to go steal some sheep from Canada? So, no. it wasn't like that. It okay. was actually during the war. But that's who did it. But anyway, so most of the original uh, left. And then uh, Lord Selkirk sold the property. There you go. But some of the original people settled, and it was in like the same general area, but with better plots of land. So they just were a couple miles up the road, basically. And all that could have been avoided if they just went a couple miles up the road from the beginning. Probably so. So that's the problem, though, when you live somewhere else and you just send somebody out to scout something, you probably don't realize it's going to be bad farmland or all that. Right. So anyways... Soon, there these these original settlers that moved, they're joined by other people. And one of those people was a gentleman by the name of John McDonald and his family. By all accounts, life in Baldoon in the 1820s was difficult, but it was uneventful. Okay? That would soon change, though. The quiet community was soon going to be rocked by paranormal events that over 200 years later, people are still talking about. Sometimes people on podcasts, like us. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's some background on the place, so let's jump to the events. Well, I said that's the background, but I want to give you some more background. We're going to jump to 1829, to the start of the McDonald's 
family issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, there's going to be some things come up, but I want to point to something that happened right before they bought the land. So he's got this plot picked out, and he says, okay, we're going to buy this land. Well, there was a lady in town, an old woman that they called the Swamp Witch. Oh, that's a nice name. Yes. She wanted the land for her two sons. Mm-hmm. And McDonald said, no, we're buying the land. And she says, no, I want that for my sons. And he says, no, you can't have it. Now go on, you, you old Swamp Witch. <laughs> Why would anybody want Swampy Land? Well, this wasn't Swampy Land. This was after on a new part of land. Follow oh, the story oh, now. Okay. They're on the new they're on the new land. And she said, Well, you'll rule the day that you buy that land. And from the beginning of owning that property, he was growing corn. The corn would grow about a foot tall and it would just turn brown and die. Yeah. Oh. His chickens, if they would lay an egg, they would die almost afterwards. And his oxen that he used out in the field all dropped dead, still in their harnesses. Well, she wasn't playing, was she? There were issues. All right. Now, that'll come into play a little more later. So it's been determined that the first actual event happened to some women while they were preparing straw in the barn, you know, to make like straw hats and stuff. with yeah. weaver. They were weaving. Mm-hmm. The poles that were in the roof structure just started falling toward the ground. Now, first of all, it's just one. And they're like, well, that's freaking weird. Okay, so they were in the barn. They were in the barn. Okay. And one of the poles that, that made up the roof, oh, good the great. structure of the roof, just falls. Yeah, that is very bizarre. Right. Well, they're like, well, that's odd. But they went on about their business. But then other ones started falling. One after the other. Now, these were like spears. Oh. Falling, I mean, because there were pipes or poles, and they're falling from the top. They're coming straight down. Well, I'd be getting the heck out of Dodge. Well, that's exactly what they did. It was coming straight for the woman, and they ran for cover just to keep from being impaled. Oh. The barn was inspected almost immediately afterwards, and there was no possible reason that was found for the poles to just fall from the structure. The poles were actually installed in such a way that it was um, shouldn't have been able to come easily loose whatsoever let alone more than one. Yeah, one right after the other. Now, this was only the start of the disturbing, unexplainable events that would plague the farm for the next several years. I so say they, several, it's three, but still. Well, yeah, so they didn't really put it together that that's what, why it was happening yet? No, no, they didn't. So the McDonald family would hear unexplained sounds day and night, such as footsteps throughout the house, primarily in the kitchen. Most of the time... The family was sleeping when this would start up. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes Mrs. McDonald would be walking around and she would hear footsteps behind her and she'd turn around and they'd stop. And then she'd walk some more and hear footsteps behind her, yeah. turn around and stop. But these noises would happen at nighttime. Now, the noise wasn't the like occasional creak or soft stepping. According to family members, this was more like several men rhythmically marching, preparing for war. No way. When anyone walked into the kitchen, the marching would instantly stop. So it only happened at nighttime? I wonder why it didn't happen in daytime. I don't know. They said sometimes that the, the actual whole house would shake almost it was like it was being raised off of the foundation. So this would continue to happen every night for three years. Every night? Every night for three years. 
And Tracy, anytime you have something happen to your children, especially something that cannot be explained, it causes anxiety and extra concern. Would you agree? I agree. So you can imagine how the next event had a lasting impression on the McDonald family. All right, so they had an infant in the house. This wasn't their baby. This was their niece. Mm -hmm. Okay, 15 months old. There was two incidents. The first incident was the baby started screaming, bloody murder. Miss McDonald runs over and finds out what's going on. This was going to be a sign of things to come because under the baby was a stone, a small stone, a pebble, we'll say. The pebble was so hot, it was as if it had just been held in the fire and taken out. It was burning the baby. Oh. They take the stone out. And there's a there's like a little creek right outside their house. Uh-huh. They take it out. They throw it in the creek. You could hear it sizzle. Sizzle? Oh, when my goodness. When it hit goodness. the creek. Okay? They walk back in the house. Guess what's in the house? The pebble. The wet pebble that they just threw outside. Was it under the baby again? No, it wasn't under the baby. It was right where they could see it in the floor. That yeah. wasn't That wasn't the most concerning. All right. <laughs> so the baby was in its wooden cradle. Well, the cradle started to rock back and forth violently, side to side, violently. Three men rushed over to the cradle. All three put their hands on it and tried to stop it, and they couldn't. Even with all three men there, with all their strength, the cradle kept rocking. Was the baby in there? Yes. Oh, poor child. Beginning. Huh? I said at the beginning, while the baby was in the cradle, it started shaking back and forth. Well, that's what I thought you said. Yeah. So men stepped back in horror as the cradle continued to rock on its own. I hope the baby hadn't recently drank milk because it would be it pooping, would be all over pooping butter. Oh, gosh, yes, yes. Now, the next events I've heard about have a few stories that always freak me out. That would be spontaneous fires. I don't don't like that. That just appear in the home. Yeah. That was one of the things that happened in the Sally House. And there was a poltergeist situation in Indiana where there was a bunch of random fires like that and a few other stories that we've covered. In this case, it happened a lot as almost like the presence was trying to burn down the house. Yeah. One specific occasion. Over a dozen fires started almost simultaneously without any clear ignition source. As soon as one fire would start, they would put it out, and then another would start right up. Well, I mean, if that's not enough to make you get up out of that house, I don't know what else it's going to take. Well, John McDonald was especially shaken by these specific events. He was certain that something was trying to drive his family from the home. Now, there were many different types of disturbing events, obviously, that happened over the years. But some of these events happened over and over, like the marching Mm -hmm. in the kitchen. The most common of these events were rocks and bullets being thrown in the house. How do you throw a bullet? (laughs) Well, it's exactly like you think, because uh, these bullets were actually round, Mm -hmm. almost like muskets or something. I mean, they were... You know, but they were being thrown like metal balls. They were being thrown through the window. And they wouldn't break the window exactly. It'd make just a big enough hole for the bullet to get through, and then they would just land in the living room. They wouldn't at all, you know, 
be like they were shot from a gun. But at first, that's what they thought was happening. They thought, well, that there's just some random hunter out there that's not aware there's a house here, and they've shot. And but no, it was, it was actually they'd have one after the other after I the mean, other. Are they just in denial that there's something going on here? <laughs> I don't get it. Well, and then like I said, then the other times it was rocks being thrown. Now the rocks did break windows. Well, so. that's probably RST. Yeah, so that's who it was. <laughs> so they would take these rocks and these bullets off of the property and throw them in the creek. But before they did that. They would make little marks on them so they would know these are the rocks. And only days later, these same bullets and rocks with the markings on them would be thrown back into the house. Keep in mind, the windows were constantly being broken by these rocks and the bullets. So eventually, because there was no windows left in the house, John McDonald just said to heck with it and he boarded all of the windows up. That way, instead of hearing breaking glass all the time, the family heard the constant thumping of the rocks and the bullets on the outside of the home. Well, how depressing is that? I mean, you don't even have windows to look out now. I know it. Although the bullets and the rocks were always gathered and disposed of daily, no one could explain how they kept showing back up time and time again. Yeah, that would be so annoying. Tracy, as you would expect, word got out. And... The, the the story of the haunting or the poltergeist or whatever it was started to spread, not just well, locally across all of North America. I was going to say, after all this time, and they had not spoken about this to anybody, I guess? I mean, not really. But, you know, as they started not being able to fix the problem. Yeah. You know. So pretty soon newspapers began to pick up the story. And people were curious. They loved reading the stories but even more wanted to experience it for themselves. So when this happened, this tiny little quiet community became a hotspot for visitors hoping to catch a glimpse of this paranormal activity. So I guess, I mean, this would go on all through the day and night, every yes. day. Yes, yes. I don't know how they stood that. I really don't. Well, locals and family members continued to record many of the sightings as they happened. And interest in these strange occurrences continued to grow. Newspapers even promoted the McDonald Farm as a macabre tourist attraction. I'm sure that had to make them happy. Yeah, for real. I mean, the McDonald's were okay with it at first, with their growing interest that people were having in the farm. But it was also terrifying to their family and a genuine concern for their safety. Of course, I imagine so. McDonald's family was convinced that whatever this entity was, it was attached to the property. So what did they do? They moved to John's father, his homestead, that, that was close to him. So now the whole family just up and moves to his dad. You think that fixed the problem? I could Probably not. Absolutely not. The events followed them and the family to the house. They still had the rocks and the bullets being thrown. Now it's at his father's house. So now his dad's windows are all being busted. <laughs> right. They had the marching footsteps were being heard in the house. There was all kinds of things happening. So I, I wonder if his dad knew about all that. I guess he probably did. I'm sure he did. Yeah. Anyway, so they, uh, so the family decided to move back to their place, but they were going to stay outside in a tent until the incidents calmed down. You ever, you ever uh, think about how cold it gets in the wintertime in oh, Canada? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> a, a tent. It's not going to make it. No, that's not. 
So eventually the family decided to seek some outside help. Now they first discussed the situation with a local priest who was uh, supposedly experienced in performing exorcisms. He gave his best effort, but there was basically no changes and the constant barrage of terror was bombarding the family still. Well, then there was a, there was a guy local that was a teacher. He approached him and said, look, I kind of have a little bit of a uh, specialty of mine. I'm a witch hunter. Oh. But you can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I'll help you out. His name was Robert Barker. Now, Mr. Barker came in. He put signs all over the house. It said, like, be gone, witch, and all this stuff. And it really didn't help. Now, the ironic thing is, Mr. Barker ended up getting arrested for witchcraft. He is the the only person to ever be arrested and charged for witchcraft in Canada. Robert Barker. And he Did was they in, hang him for no, anything? No, he was actually taken to jail. And he was in jail for like six years. He lost all kinds of weight. He became really sickly. His life was completely destroyed. And eventually the judge was like, I mean, did you charge for your services? And he's like, no. And he's like, eh, well, I guess if you didn't charge for it, it really you didn't do anything wrong. And they let him out. But his life Well, he was, didn't think to ask him that six his, years ago? It was a different different judge, I think, at the time. But Brother. anyway, his life was ruined by that point, Aww. so it didn't matter. Wait, okay. I hope I didn't miss it. <laughs> I, I hope you didn't either. Well, I'm just saying, you, he said he not, did, did the guy tell that he was a witch? Or how did that get out? No, he said he wouldn't. I don't know how I got out. Okay, that's I, and uh, But I don't think it was from this exact incident, but that's what eventually happened. I'll be dang. So it's kind of ironic. Anyways, the next part may not be as verifiable as some of the other stuff I've told you, but some sources say that the family met with a woman that was gifted with the power of, quote-unquote, Second sight. She she could like look into a stone and be able to like see the future and see things that have happened. And mm-hmm. okay, so they go to her, traveled a very long distance, as a matter of fact, to hear her thoughts on what this haunting may be. She tells them that the events are due to result of a curse that was put on them by an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> look at her knowing the truth. Some had said that the McDonald's had been involved in a minor spat with the woman that we talked about earlier and her sons when they bought the property back in the 1820s. So maybe that was it. Who knows? Like I said, that part's really not verifiable that they really went and saw that woman, but that's how the story goes. So the McDonald's supposedly performed some type of a ritual to rid themselves of this poltergeist activity and the incidents suddenly stopped. Some say that the old woman that they traveled to see suggested that the family needed to shoot a black goose with a silver bullet. I've never seen a black goose, have you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You've seen them. I have? Yeah. Oh. You'd have to, you'd have to look again. But I mean, I, I mean, I'd have to show them to you again, but we've seen them before. The old woman felt that the swamp witch, apparently, had used witchcraft on the black goose... And that was the source of the spell. So in order to fix the spell, they were going to have to shoot the goose. Well, that poor daggone goose, he didn't do nothing. (laughs) So the McDonald's took that advice and they shot the goose in the wing. And shortly after, the family said that the old woman was seen around town wearing her sling, wearing a sling on her arm. 
Oh, no. So she was the goose? I mean, I guess that's what they were saying, or at least that was a representation anyway. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> these actions apparently prompted the end of these strange occurrences. But as you can see, the line between fact and fiction has become somewhat blurred over the many years. To say, uh, hey, old witch, what'd you do to get your arm in a sling there? <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me see that arm. Is there a silver bullet in there? <laughs> So exactly what brought an abrupt end to these strange incidents is an interesting part to this mystery. Whether the story about a curse was true or not, who knows, the incident did stop by the mid-1830s. In all, the family had three years of extreme hauntings. And a hundred years later, in 1930, the home burned down. I'm surprised it took that down, you know, that long to burn down. I heard, I was, I, in my research, I look up a bunch of YouTube videos and all that. There were a couple of stories that actually said, remember the part where I said he went to his dad's? Right. There was one story, only one though, that said that the house actually burnt down from those fires. And that's why they had to go live with the dad. With their dad. And that's why they came back and built a tent. But it really didn't. The rest of the story doesn't make sense mm -hmm. if the house was no longer there. Um, but all the other stories I, I read said that the house didn't burn down during that time they were living there. So that's what I went with instead of even bringing it up, even mm -hmm. though I still brought it up. <laughs> so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. yeah. That's Anyways, a crazy that's, story. That's the story of the Baldoon mystery. So don't ever ignore when somebody says, I'm going to put a curse on you. That's right. Right. And stay away from black geese. Yeah. yeah. Cause, you know, or at least carry around a silver bullet in case you need to shoot it. Yeah, definitely. I'm, sure. Was there only like one black goose, I wonder? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, how would you know which one it would is? Shoot? Yeah, which one? How would you know this? So, I don't know. That part sounds a little folklorish. Yeah, me. yeah. Anyways, that's the story. And uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we're going to be back to hear Jeff Aldridge and uh, hear Tracy talk about stuff. Okay. Yay. Yay. All right, Tracy, well, we don't have any more live events this year. We have, well, uh, well we technically have CryptidCon. That's true. That's true. And uh, so that'll be fun. That's the we weekend had, before Thanksgiving. We had fun at ScareFest. ScareFest was, was awesome. It was we could, so much fun. Oh, that's what I want to bring up. Okay. So this is this is like the biggest coincidence. On last week's episode, we talked about, and of course we recorded that Before. prior, right. so we recorded that on Thursday, and uh, on Sunday morning, Robert Patrick, who we had talked about, mm -hmm. actually came over to our booth. It was so cool. Yes, and it he, was. And he took a piece of candy, a Twizzler. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you curious, he likes Twizzlers. <laughs> Anyways, he came over and he talked to us. He's very nice. Let us take a picture. And um, here's the ironic thing. I had no clue. The episode that we covered last week talked about Reverend Eliakim Phelps. What I didn't know was that Robert Patrick actually played Eliakim Phelps. Isn't that crazy? In the TV version of Lore, where they apparently covered that episode. And I've seen all those episodes and did not remember that. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember that was even one of the episodes, alone who played it. Yeah. But somebody pointed out, hey, Robert Patrick actually played him. And I was like, what's the odds? That the day that that story comes out, the gentleman that played him on the damn TV show walks over to our booth and talks to that's, us. That's very crazy. Very crazy. 
That that actually may be one of the craziest coincidences yeah. that I've ever been involved yeah. with. Yeah, because we had no clue. He's a very nice man. I sure enough would have brought it up to him if I'd have known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. He's but, very nice, though. Yeah, he was super nice. Kind of quirky a little bit. Mm-hmm. He kind of comes across as a little... But he's got a new show. He kept promoting his new show that he's got on Shudder mm-hmm. called... Uh, what's it called? What uh, What So-and-So Saw. What Jason saw or, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, we've watched the previews. We yeah, haven't, it looks, we haven't watched looks, it yet, but it looked really good. Yeah, it looks pretty good. It's about two hours long. Mm-hmm. That's my reason we didn't watch it that night. It was late. Yeah, but yeah, it looks like it's a pretty freaky show. Got a lot of paranormal stuff, and it's on Shutter. So, all right. So Tracy, what you got going on over there? All right, for our iTunes this week, we have Kay Cummings, Zaria. Oh my gosh, I'm going to say it wrong, and I said it right the last time. Luthi Alien? (laughs) That's it. Elaine McRaney? Tuloa86? You Served? And Good Old Mojo Lobster? Thank you guys for your reviews. They were really nice. Very nice, and we so much appreciate that. And for our Patreons, we have... All right, here we go. I'm going to listen up, too. Elizabeth... What is it? I don't know. I'm not looking at it. I don't know either. Uh, Elizabeth. It's not that hard, babe. Michael Bison. Bison. I'm pretty sure that's not it. That ain't it either. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. I can't say your your name, sweetheart. How's it spelled? It is M-A-C-O-I-B. I think it's it's McCoybison. McCoybison. That's what I meant to say. I was all over the place with that. Well, Elizabeth, we love you, honey. Sorry I screwed your name all up. And Miss Brenda Lee, thank you, honey, for y'all's patronage. We appreciate y'all so much. Yes. And that that, uh, TV show on Shutter is called What Josiah Saw. Oh, that's right, Josiah. Yeah, but it looks pretty good anyway. So, But thank you guys for taking your time out to leave reviews and to support us. It means more than y'all ever know. All right, guys, let's listen to Jeff Waldridge. Hey guys, I'm excited. I got a longtime friend on here, Jeff Waldridge. And Jeff, I don't even know how to introduce uh, what the heck you do because you have your hand in so many different things. So I'm going to start by saying that you are an event organizer because I know you more from that way. But you also are the owner of the, uh, obviously, the Lawrenceburg Ghost Walk. You're a co-producer of the Nick Groff Tour. You're co-owner of... uh, creepy people management, you name it, and you literally have your hand in it. So let's start with this. Let's start with your uh, the ghost walk that you own up in Lawrenceburg. Tell me a little bit about how long you've been doing that and what people can expect if they come on the walk. Uh, well, I've been doing the ghost walk for, this is our eighth season. I've been doing the research and investigations in Lawrenceburg for about 10 years. Uh, the ghost walk itself has been open eight years. So what I always tell people is it's not like your regular ghost walk. It's more like a walk-in presentation. So I'll have a tablet. I got a tablet that's probably about 12 inches. And um, I show pictures and audio and video and evidence and things like that that we've captured. So it's more like a walk-in presentation uh, rather than just a regular old tour with Maybe somebody dressed in old clothes telling stories that they've heard secondhand. Everything that you hear on the ghost walk is pretty much firsthand knowledge. Is this a year-round thing or is this a seasonal thing? Uh, It's seasonal. We pretty much, uh, we stopped doing it 
um, when Halloween, you know, whenever that may be around the, the end of October is when it will end. And it's uh, right now we're doing them every Friday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Okay. When does it usually pick back up again? I mean, do you, when you say seasonal, do you just take the winter off or does it start back up again around Halloween season? Uh, usually I'll start back again sometime in September and we'll run it all the way until Halloween again. So uh, I've usually found that that works best um, because if it's really hot and humid, like, you know, Kentucky can get sometimes, right. uh, you know, nobody wants to be out in that. So uh, I, I've kind of trimmed it down over the years and then it just with everything else going on, you get busy and you don't really have time to do it any other time than that time. Now, uh, this kind of ties in with the local part of Lawrenceburg, but you shared some information with me a couple of nights ago. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, it's uh, it's common knowledge now. But uh, I just recently, I mean, literally in the past two days, um, I am back in the Anderson Hotel in Lawrenceburg. And I know that's a place that's become kind of infamous uh, because of uh, paranormal lockdown and just articles and everything else that's out there. But uh, we are now opening that back up to paranormal stuff. So, uh, you know, the web page and stuff just launched yesterday and we've started to uh, to book public and private stuff. So that's that's kind of where we are with that. But it, I haven't even stepped foot in the building yet. It hasn't uh, it hasn't been the situation where we met. We figured it out, but I haven't even walked upstairs yet. So it's still new. Man, I, I literally don't know how you have time to do everything you've got your hand hands in. I mean, it's and it's being completely honest with you because none of these are easy tasks. Right. It's a uh, you know with the with the hotel it kind of uh, runs itself. So it's something that I want to do because I want to continue the investigations there. It, I feel like it's probably the biggest mystery for me that I haven't figured out fully, and uh, there's just so much of a gap in uh, unknown history. And I want to try to figure out, you know, what's going on. And that's the hardest part about that place. But, you know, I want to kind of keep that going. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we are with that. All right. I'm excited about that. I've never been there. I've heard stories about it for a long time. And uh, now, now I know I'll get an opportunity to go up and check things out. So that's really oh, cool. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a weird place. I mean, uh, you know, there's just so much out there that's just not true. And there's so much out there that's speculated. And, you know, I know the real story and that's, that's kind of what it is. And I hate seeing some of the articles and things because it's just, there's so much out there that's just not true about the hotel. And, and then it's just because people kind of take their own creative freedom with it. But, you know, I did the research, I did the investigations, and I kind of discovered the place. And I didn't even know if the place would be haunted when I first got up there. Well, turns out that it was more than just haunted. It was a whole lot more. So, you know, that's kind of where we are at this point. But I'm looking forward to kind of getting back in there and, and writing the positive history that needs to be out there. Well, share with me a little bit of... of of the history of the place, a couple of the, of the, of the more cool aspects and then share with me a couple of the things that you hear out there that are, they're just not true. So the biggest thing that you hear that's not true and I'll kind of work backwards is there's articles out there that have basically just spammed each other. They've taken somebody else's articles and they've shared it. 
that saying the place was boarded up or whatever due to the violent nature of the activity. And well, that's just not fully true. <laughs> um, kind of what happened there was uh, liability wise, the owners were just being cautious and it wasn't because uh, of just that. It was just because so many people wanted to be there. So, um, you know, I th- if I'm trying to run a business, downstairs well then you got to be careful with what you got upstairs because that could ruin your whole entire business if something were to happen liability wise so you know it was just a situation where it was a little overwhelming um they didn't sign up to have a haunted location but they got one and uh now we've kind of figured out how to embrace that now they did a haunted house out of there before covid for about two years and uh, it was actual haunted tr- attraction, but uh, that was again probably not the best idea. And uh, but you know it did well; people loved it. But there was a whole lot of activity that took place with that. So I mean, a lot of the articles that you it was never boarded up. It was just kind of we just it was shut down for the simple fact that we didn't know where to go, uh, didn't know what to do next, and and we just kind of let it sit. And now we've kind of figured that out. So, um, you know, I, I gave it space because, you know, it's, it's okay. It's, I'm good. It's still there. It's still haunted. It's not going to go away. And, uh, you know, when the time was right, I would come back and that's what we did. So, uh, you know, you get into stuff like that and people don't know the true history and yes, people did get bit up there. People did get scratched up there, but, um, and it probably is one of the most violently haunted places hotel wise um in in kentucky for sure because i've never seen human bite marks appear on a person um that was a little different but it's one of those mysteries why where i don't know why it happens and i don't know why it's happening so i got to figure that part out but when i started doing the research i found that um it was built around uh, 1934 that's when it opened and then what was there before was there was one story buildings. Then they decided to put a hotel in the second story. So they built the hotel after the fact they refaced the front of the buildings where everything matched. And then in 1934, the Lloyd hotel opened, which eventually became the Anderson hotel. And then it was an operation for some type of habituation, whether it be apartments or low rent uh, hotel all the way until the late eighties. So um, you've got years and years and years and years there uh, where we don't have a lot of history. And that's pretty much from the 30s to the 60s. And then from late 60s to the late 80s, I've got, you know, spacious history. So that's kind of where we are. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit, because that's obviously going to be something really cool to be able to uh, check out in the near future. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't realize Paranormal Lockdown had been there. I have not seen that episode, apparently. So. One episode two, I believe. Um, it was it's a good episode. They did a great job with it. All right. So let's let's jump back to your event uh organizing day. So Tracy and I are getting ready to at the time we're recording this, a couple of days from being at the Scarefest in Lexington, getting ready to celebrate their basically 14th slash 15th season, depending on whether you count the COVID year or not. And uh, you had a hand back in the very beginning of this, am I correct? Yeah, I am the co-creator of Scarefest. Uh, me and Patty Starr created it. Uh, 2008 was the first one. We started working on it about 2006, I guess. 
And, uh, you know, it's simple fact of there was conventions out there, but there was never a horror and paranormal convention. So we were the first. I don't care what anybody claims now. Hmm. We were literally the first because there was nobody mixing it. And we got phone calls when that first happened saying it won't work. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. But me and Patty pretty much said they kind of go together. You know, whether you want it or not, horror and paranormal go together. Um, so we did it and we took a chance and we did the first year and I'd never ran an event before. Um, you know, my background was, you know, doing professional wrestling events and stuff like that, but I'd had that, you know, kind of ideas. So we did it. It was a, it was like riding a bucking bull that first year, probably about every year. But uh, 2008 was just a learning experience for us. And then it took off and it's been there ever since. And I left in 2014 to, uh, I believe, 20, I don't know if it was 2013 or 14. It was my last year. But uh, I just was ready to kind of move forward. And I felt like that I just didn't want to deal with that every year. Um, And I swore I'd never do another convention. And then uh, (laughs) here we are today with Crypticon and it's grown to a uh, large, large, large size. And, uh, oh, you know, you say you're not going to do something, then it happens. So you know, here we are. Well, I, I'm sure I'm sure as time went on, you probably experienced some stuff that said, you know what, I, th- I think if I went into it now, I got a different approach. And I, it would probably be the things that I was frustrated with or didn't like about the convention uh, early days probably found a way to make it a lot easier. And uh, that's probably was what your, what your thought. It's a different, different. It's the same formula that we used for Scarefest when we started it, which I won't share because it's kind of like the Colonel's seven or, you know, herbs and spices. It's kind of a secret. Right. Little, uh, <laughs> but there is a, a formula there that me and Lee and Jennifer use, and it is going back to what we use for Scarefest. So, um, there is a formula there, but I'm not going to tell people because they know. Right. So, you know, um, but it's not hard to figure out. But I will tell you that uh, it was almost like I had PTSD from Scarefest because, uh, man, I just I don't I don't miss that at all. Um, but it did prepare me for rolling with the punches for everything else. And uh, if if a issue comes up now with the, you know Crypticon or the tour or whatever we're doing at the time, then we just kind of roll with the punches because it, we've encountered so many different things over the years. But uh, man, it's just uh, I don't I love what Scarefest was, and Scarefest opened so many doors for us uh, and the future. You know, we would have never met Nick. And uh, and we would have never had to tour if it wasn't for Scarefest and the relationships we built there. Uh, we would never have some of these other relationships that we currently have. So, I mean, it, it, it was a nice uh, door opener for us. But, you know, it's it's just something where you outgrow it um, and, and then you kind of got to move forward. So let's touch on a couple of things. I, I want to get on. uh creepy people management and talk about the Nick Groff tour. But first I want to, I want to jump back to your area. Cause you're, you're in, in Lawrenceburg, you are involved in so many different things right. and wild man days. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. And tell me a little bit about why there is a wild man days. 
well, for people who aren't in the area. There currently is a limbo to wild man days. Um, <laughs> COVID kind of shut us down. So we're trying to figure out what, what our next step is there. But uh, because, you know, it is a rebuild. When you're funding this stuff out of your other events and stuff, it, we, you got to reevaluate everything. But Wild Man Days came about because uh, we figured it would be cool to have a Bigfoot Street Festival. And Lawrenceburg was welcoming to us because I guess I'm their local weirdo. So uh, they let us do it there. And we did it for two years, and it was great. And uh, it's basically just taking a festival formula as far as food vendors and things like that. And then you just throw Bigfoot into the mix. So you know, we had Bachman calling contest and, you know, biggest foot and, you know, just little things that people could do, but people enjoyed it. People ask about it all the time. And, you know, it's something we have to look at and, and look at the future and make sure that that's still the best fit for what we need to do. Now, did Lawrenceburg have a history of Bigfoot sightings yeah. or wild man sightings? And That's what, why we did it there um, is because it's ranked at like number two or something for sightings. It's got a history all the way back until like the 1700s before it was even Lawrenceburg. Uh, there was a family that lived out there, the Frazier family, and they supposedly saw this beast on their property and some of them moved away because of it. And that, that land still exists. It's still investigated. It's still active. Um, and, you know, I still research in that area as well. So, I mean, it's uh, it's got its history and it still has sightings today. It's, we you know, every year I, I start to hear of a new sighting or two because of deer season. But uh, eh, he's out there for whatever reason. That's what people think. It, you know, Bigfoot is not just in the Pacific Northwest. We have Bigfoot. And that's a horrible term I hate to use, by the way, but we have Bigfoot <laughs> as named in popular culture um, in, in Kentucky and in Tennessee and all over the place. Well, that's always get confused if there's two of them. Are they, is it big feet? Is it, is it big foots? Is it just uh, Bigfoot? Is it plural? This discussion I've had with Cliff from uh, Finding Bigfoot is what do you call plural Bigfoot? And he just said you call him Bigfoot. So it's not well, Bigfoot. There you go. It would be Bigfoot. So uh, much like, um, you know, deer, you know, if there's if there's a deer, it's just deer. You know what I'm saying? It's right. it don't, don't really mean that there's big feet. Um, so that, <laughs> that's something that I ask is like, we just call him Bigfoot. I was like, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Of course, I've said this to Lee and, and Jennifer Kirkland. We've had Lee on the show. I've never had Jennifer on. I had to get her on at some point and talk about her uh, uh Perryville battlefield days and stuff and talk about that. But, uh, you know, I've said this to them and I'll, and I'll say it to you. And I think I've said it to you privately, but me and uh, Tracy and myself, we, we thank you, you guys so much for having us to be part of cryptid con. We, uh, we were, I think part of the second one and, and this will be our third year coming up. Of course we missed COVID year that like everybody did. Uh, but we, we've seen that thing take off and grow from, from one small room. Uh, we've you know, seen you grow and take off so i mean you know it's it's cool to kind of see that and uh i'll tell you with the whole perryville battlefield thing you kind of mentioned that um i was the first one to officially get permission from the state to investigate the battlefield and i wrote a letter to the park manager and they said yes that's fine but ever to that point everybody had just trespassed and uh so we've kind of become the official investigators of the battlefield 
and uh you know lee and jennifer and myself and uh it was i'll tell you what that place is something else but uh you know again you talk about how many things i've had my hands in or or have (laughs) but that's just one of them but you know i love that it's still very near and dear to my heart because of everything there now so Oh, and, and let's touch on CryptoCon before we get off of here. Uh, this year's is the weekend before Thanksgiving. They did it that time last year. It worked out great. Uh, we, of course, will be there. Several, uh, yep. several of the of the of the, uh, the big names in in cryptid, uh, the cryptid world will be there. So it's always a blast. It's it's my favorite uh, event that we do every year. So I uh, can't wait for that. Well, I love it because it's. Uh... When we created this thing, uh, you know, we wanted to do it. I'll tell you, and this is, people may be like, what's he talking about? But back in the day, there were all these Bigfoot conferences, and they were stale. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, Mm -hmm. you could see the old videos and things where it was just sitting around and in a conference room or whatever the case is. And we didn't want that. Uh, we wanted to produce kind of like the rock and roll event of, of Bigfoot and cryptids. So that's kind of what our goal was. And uh, so we called it CryptidCon and uh, a fun piece of uh, information there is the logo that you see commonly uh, with the tentacle coming off and all that. That was actually designed by John Tenney. And many oh, people cool. probably know that. But that's uh that's a pretty cool one. And then uh, the other one that you see with the Bigfoot head and the Crypticon in its mouth, that was from uh, Brian Danhausen. So, you know, we, we still use folks within the paranormal usually to do things. But uh, the cool part about Crypticon is we wanted it to be a fan event where they could come and enjoy it. Uh, we also wanted it to be a learning experience for researchers. And we also wanted it to be a place where if people wanted to get into cryptozoology, that they could use it as a jumping off point to kind of educate themselves. So that's kind of what we've done is we've kind of tried to roll in pop culture with the educational speakers and things. And I think it's worked pretty well. All right, so so to jump into something else you you yet have your hand in. The first year we were at CryptidCon, we were blessed to be at a table that was one side of us had the the guys from Mountain Monsters. And you talk about the rock and roll type event. Them guys, I mean, they're yelling and screaming and hooping. I mean, fun in a fun way, not an annoying way. But it's like we couldn't have asked for a better spot to have people drawn over to that area for us. But But then on the other side of us, we had the privilege to be able to meet Mike Couch and uh, Mike, obviously uh, for people who don't know Mike, he's, he lost a limb and he started a charity called the lost limbs foundation. He runs the Rhodes hotel up in Indiana. We were up there a couple months ago and um, great guy, overall great guy. He and Nick Groff are great friends. And uh, they do a lot of stuff together. Nick helps him a lot with his charity, along with uh, Robin Terry. Who They've almost asked. killed me twice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we're going to get to. They've almost killed me. They, um, I-, I was talking a little bit to Mike Couch when we were out there, but he and Nick decided that they wanted to go climb a mountain, uh, yeah. which where somebody's got one leg, you know, but they're they're doing it for the documentary that they put out. And you are also uh great behind the camera 
And so you went along with you, Mike, and Nick Groff to climb this mountain. Right. And I want you to tell me that story because this the story that happened was absolutely amazing. Tell so, me about what happened on there. I have my own production company called Out the Window Media, and I always wanted to produce documentaries. So that was kind of one of my passions. It still is. And I've got uh, three out. Two are on Amazon Prime. Murder in the Moonlight is on Amazon Prime. It's about the Texarkana Phantom Killings. And then Hardway is is on just another streaming platform, but it's about deathmatch wrestling. It's called hardwayfilm.com. You can get those links. But uh, so Nick calls me probably about, I don't know, two or three weeks before they were to climb this mountain. And he said, I can't find a production company that will do this locally. And he said, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I can do it for you. So uh, he knew I had all the gear and all the equipment and, you know, I was okay with the camera work and all that kind of thing. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's fine. But then when I agreed to it, I didn't do any prior research. So once we hung up the phone, I Googled the mountain that he said we were going to climb. Cause you know, in Kentucky, you, you kind of got the smoky mountains. That's close. Right. By. But, uh, when I Googled Mount Washington, it said it was the deadliest small mountain in America or in the world. <laughs> and it recorded the highest wind speed on earth at one time. So I was like, well, this is just a horrible idea because I've never climbed a mountain. Uh, the hiking that I've done is in the woods looking for Bigfoot, so it's pretty flat. Uh, may have some hills, but I'd never climbed a mountain, much less climbed a mountain while trying to film it uh, for this uh, documentary deal that they were doing. So I was like, oh, my Lord, what have I got myself into? So I uh, had to get hiking boots, had to get nice hiking socks. That's important. Your feet need to be healthy. And uh, so I got all of my gear together. Weird story about that was I actually carried all my clothing and I had to check my bag with my hiking uh, equipment in there. We get there. Mike picks me up at the airport. We drive in right at the base where the Mount Washington Hotel is, is where we kind of stayed the night before. We met up with Nick, had dinner at the Mount Washington Hotel, kind of talking about everything. And we went through it. Now, the first thing that was supposed to happen was Mike had his prosthetic leg with him, and uh, it was working. It worked great. But when we were walking around the Mount Washington Hotel about before dinner, it started to leak air, and it would not maintain suction or whatever it is there to his, to his leg. So he was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, I don't know. Do we cancel it? Do me and Nick go by ourselves? It kind of defeats the purpose of you going. He was like, I'm going to do it on crutches. And me and Nick both was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> well, but it's a distance deadly mountain. What's the problem? Right. You know, he said, I, I've already committed to it and I want to do it. So he was going to do it on crutches. And that was the plan. So we got up that morning early, like five in the morning and got our gear together. Got down there to base of Mount Washington. It's a little drive off, a little pull off there. And we were gearing up, getting ready to film. And I asked Nick and them, I was like, he's like, why do you have a knife? 
because I had a knife on my side, you know, like a like a hunting <laughs> knife, like a survival knife. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, why do you have a knife? I was like, you realize that we're going into the wilderness where moose and bear and other things exist. He was like, yeah. I was like, did you not bring any survival equipment whatsoever? He was like, I got some granola bars, some protein bars. I was like, I was like, I know Mike didn't bring any. I'm like, am I the only one that has any type of survival equipment with me? And he was like, yeah, I guess. I was like, okay, that's a good thing, I guess. But I was the only one that had fire starter. I was the only one that had any type of equipment needed where if we were to have to live there for a day, we could survive. So I said, oh, boy, this may get more interesting. Now, the challenge is that to film this is I have to run forward film, and then I have to get behind them and film. So I'm climbing this thing back and forth, and we head up the mountain. Um, it was going smoothly, um, you know, until the point that, uh, you know, Mike's body just started to give out. Because when you think about that, he's doing crutches with his hands. Oh, yeah. And his hands begin to blister. They begin to uh, bruise. Uh, they begin to really cause some trouble uh, with his body. His body began to break down. His, his good leg, his ankle, he twisted his ankle. His knee started to get sore and swollen. So Nick had to carry him at points up through the mountain. And um, I'll tell you one of the biggest things that I hated about that mountain was the black flies. And they they were awful at points up the mountain. The mosquitoes and black flies were. And then when we got up close to the top, uh, Mike kind of turned to sit down and rest. And he hurt his back. Nick was carrying him. He kind of hurt his uh, Mike had twisted his back. He couldn't go any further. And we were a mile and a half from the summit. So we were stuck. Now, we were high enough where a helicopter couldn't get up there. So we were sitting there like, what do we do? And then I'll kind of leave it to you now if you want to ask some questions. But that's kind of where we are right now. Well, so, okay. So, first of all, how long should this, if everything went perfect, how long should this have taken from start to finish? So me and Mike talked all day about having a big steak dinner when we were done because it's seven miles, I believe, to the summit. So we figured we would finish in the evening and enough time to have a big steak. And that's what we were going to do. Well, as things begin to happen, time begin to progress. And Elizabeth uh, Saint and his mother were driving a car to the top to pick us up. So that way we didn't have to hike back down. We were just going to make the summit and then get the car and go. Well, up there where you can park at the summit closes at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And we were reaching that time very fast. And they won't allow cars up there any longer. So then we were like, okay, if we can't get up there in time, now what? So we had all these scenarios playing out in our minds. And that's that's where we were at at that point. So ideally, we should have been done by probably about four or five in the afternoon. Now, when you say hike, what in my mind, when I think hike up mountain, I, I picture people, you know, with the 
the cables hooked to them and and little tiny ledges. I take it because Mike was on crutches and stuff and able to do a lot of this, that this was more like a more of a a, a, a path kind of made out to be able to do that. Is Am I understanding that correctly? There are trails. Um, okay, trails. That's what I should have said. There are trails. And I'll tell you what it is, is there, there are trails all the way up the mountain. And you can pick pretty much whichever trail you want to go up based on, um, you know, whatever difficulty level you want to do. So we kind of picked the the easy one, which when I say easy, it's not easy. It just means there's not so much uh, hand over hand climbing. Gotcha. Now, once we got up above tree line where trees no longer grow, uh, then you have just stones. I mean, it's literally just rocks. And at that point, we did have to go hand over hand at some points over the rocks to get up certain parts because you just couldn't walk up it anymore. And uh, when you get closer to the summit, it kind of clears back out again and you can you can walk again. So there are parts where you do kind of have to climb and navigate boulders. But for the most part, you can walk. Okay, so now now we're back to the point to where. Mike's kind of hurt his back. You guys are rushing to get uh, up to the summit before the cars can no longer park. So now what happens? Okay, so Nick decides that he's going to run ahead because Nick is in ridiculous shape. Uh, I mean, still now he does um, tons of of just core body strength exercises. That's what he does. You know, he does uh, CrossFit type stuff. So he literally sprinted that last mile and a half to the top, which I don't know how he did it. So his dad was with us. Nick's dad was. So he stayed with Mike and me and Nick went on to try to get some type of assistance. Once we started to get closer on time, Nick said, I'm going to have to run ahead. I was like, well, I'm not stopping. I was like, I've got this far. We're like a mile from the summit. I'm going. I'm going to make it to the summit because I have nowhere else to go. If I turn around and go back, it's going to be the same distance. So might as well get to the top. So I said, I'll meet you up there. And so he was going to go ahead, make sure the cars were still there, make sure everything was still in place. That way, you know, we, we had it, everything going. So Nick sprinted ahead. Now that last mile and whatever was left, I did by myself holding Mike's crutches because Mike had given me his crutches because he no longer needed them. He was laying on the ground. So it kind of reminded me of the little area where Mike was at with Nick's dad almost looked like a trench that you would imagine from like World War II or something. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a stretched out space. So the wind was off of them. Um, it wasn't like wisping winds all over them. So that's kind of where they hunkered down. And so I said, heck with it. I'm taking these crutches. I'm going on to the top. So I made it to the top. And that was just the weirdest experience. It was so strange. And I'll tell you, kind of one thing that happened was there was this instance where you almost heard evil laughing in your brain. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? But I was like, I'm keeping on going. I'm going, I'm going on. So I made it to the summit. When I got it to the summit, let me tell you that it was the worst conditions I've ever felt on this earth. (laughs) There was no tree coverage. The wind speeds were 70 mile an hour the temperature up there was 33 degrees and i get behind a sign that warned people to rest their brakes before they proceeded down the mountain or they would fail in order to let the, the wind block me from just blowing everywhere 
You don't see that footage because I couldn't film up there. It was impossible to film at that stage. So I sat there. I was by myself. I had very little cell phone coverage. I had all these people trying to reach me. I had Mike's sister trying to reach out to me. Um, Nick, uh, or Nick, me and him was kind of keeping sporadic contact because he was, who knows where he was at this point. And then Lee and Jennifer were texting as well. And they were like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I was like, Mike's hurt, but don't tell anybody. Don't make anything public. Don't tell a soul because Crystal and his mother and them did not know that. All right. Crystal knew was that she was synced to Mike's Fitbit and the battery failed about uh, probably 30 minutes before that time frame. So she was like, okay, well, I guess his battery died. So they knew nothing. I didn't want to scare them. But we had no idea how we were going to get Mike off this mountain. So here we are. We're stuck. Um, I'm by myself. And then I look up to this little summit. It's like a summit building. And I look up there. And I see Nick's car. So I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. I'm not by myself. Because I was already thinking, I'm going to have to find a place to make a shelter. I'm going to have to build a fire. Because I had the only survival gear that was up there. So I was like, I may have to stay here till morning until somebody can get back up here to me. Because they literally blocked the road off. So I'll go up and walk a little further. It was kind of like one of those things where it's almost like the Lord telling you just a little further. Just a little further. Go over here. Make it here. Make it here. Make it here. And so I would keep going, baby steps, baby steps. And then I seen Nick's car, which his mom was driving. And I literally got inside of it. And I was, it was probably one of the best, happiest moments of not going to die in my life. <laughs> and um, I got inside the car and I was almost out of water. So I just started drinking water. And I asked Nick, I was like, what's the plan? And he was like, the mountain um you know their company down at the bottom they're going to send up their like train system to pick up mike they'd never done that before ever he was the first person to ever be rescued in that manner and so they brought up a rescue team and they brought him up on that train to go and they still had to hike about i don't know a mile over to where he was and he had to try to meet them but it was hard for him he had to basically just do it crawling along and they got him down to the bottom um he didn't need an ambulance or anything but i mean there was no way to get off that mountain so i didn't know what was going on because i'd rode down the hill with his with nick's mom in the car and we had went to that visitor center place at the, the base where we started and i was just like i don't know what's happening we couldn't hear from him we didn't hear from him we had no contact with him and then they showed up on this uh this train this rail system and there they were. So it was kind of like a reunion. But I'll tell you, the, the funny part about that was when we were driving out of there, they had a fireworks show that night. So it was so surreal that the fireworks were going off. And, you know, you're driving through there. We didn't get our steak dinner. But I told Mike when we got to the hotel, I was like, we're finding food. We're going to have our victory meal. So me and him drove to a McDonald's about 30 minutes away. And we had probably <laughs> the best uh big mac that we had ever tasted in our lives and that was our victory meal was we probably ate more mcdonald's than we needed to and uh but i'll tell you the funny part about that that night when we were we would wake up almost like in dreams and it was almost like we were back on that mountain we could feel the rocks under our feet it was so weird yeah. but uh <laughs> that was the first time that they tried to kill me so if people want to see this documentary how can they find that 
Um, you would have to search uh, Unlimited Journey. Now, it's spelled a little differently. I know Mike and them are selling DVDs. So um, the best way to find out would probably get a hold of Mike through the uh, the Lost Limbs Foundation. Because I know they've got signed DVDs with both episodes on it. Because we did a Spartan race after this. And that's, that's the next time where they tried to kill me. And, uh, but I know both episodes are on that disc. It's signed by both Nick and Mike and the, the proceeds go to the charity. But I know for sure that, uh, if you go to lost limbs foundation on their Facebook or something, I believe there's a link where you could get one. And if not, you can contact it and Mike or crystal will get back to you. Awesome. All right. So let's jump to this last thing. <clears throat> Creepy people management, right? You guys, and, and, and it's you and, and Lee and Jennifer, and I don't know if anybody else is involved or if it's just you three, but That's, yeah, you guys represent some of the biggest names in the paranormal world. Right. How did, how did that come to be? Because I mean, that's a pretty big, t I mean, I'm, I'm talking, you know, of course you, 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 you're, you know, you have the Nick Groff tour that you guys do, but then you've got all these other names of everybody who's anybody that's underneath you guys. And I mean, that's just amazing when you, when you think about, Oh, you're just a couple people from central Kentucky and yet you found a way to represent all these people. So tell me a little bit about how it started and how it grew to where it's at today. Well, I'll tell you kind of how it started is we had been looking at this. People would ask, because of Scarefest and things, we would find people that were real hard to get a hold of and book. And Lee did a lot of that. Uh, and I'll tell you, still right now, I'll tell you this, and I'll give Lee all the credit in the world. He does probably more work with on-the-ground work with the talent management part of the do. And it's just because of the time constraints, and he can go and do this and do that. And he's, uh, it, I, I just got to give him credit for that because it's just – He's he's a beast when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you how it came about was people would always ask, well, why don't y'all start a, a, you know, a, um, talent management thing? Well, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because you book people anyway. So we were literally at Dragon Con. And that's when we had breakfast and me and Lee and Jennifer talked about it. And we said, you know, why don't we do it? And I had kind of thought about this and and kind of looked at the name several years back when i was still with scarefest even of creepy people management you know managing creepy people <laughs> creepy people managing creepy people so that's kind of what we kicked around and we we decided to do it and we decided to launch the company and we wanted to sign anybody that we could because there was a hole there at the time uh, mm -hmm. another it kind of stopped doing it and there was all these people out there with representation. And a lot of people don't want to do stuff without representation. It makes it harder. It makes it harder to book events. Plus, it gives them a one-stop place to come find these people that they want to book for their events. Um, so we decided to do it. And we decided to sign people on and do things. And it's kind of like that part from jerry mcguire i think nick was our first client <laughs> you know where where he's like right. you know, show me the money you know <laughs> uh, but nick was one of our first people and then we reached out to several friends and colleagues and things and signed on just a ton more and then once our reputation got out there that we were actually treating people properly uh, then of course others wanted to come and do it and 
what people don't understand is all three of us have day jobs. So this is mm-hmm. not our time job. None of this is. We work 40 hour a week jobs, probably 40 plus for Lee and them because they're in the medical field. Um, and so, you know, we're not looking to get rich off of this. We were just looking to take friends and colleagues and people that we thought a lot of and make sure that they were treated right. And so that's kind of way the reason that we started it. And we use it now to our advantage because we book our own people for events that are our events. And we don't want to send them out to an event that may treat them poorly. So we're very selective about things like that. And like I said, Lee is by far uh, more involved with that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we we just wanted to do the right thing for people. We didn't we we had friends and things that had gotten screwed from other companies and lost money, and we just don't want to do that to people. We don't want to see people do that because you know these folks that are out there on television and things. This is their sole means of income for the most part, so mm-hmm. we want to make they're treated properly, and that's kind of the reason why we started it. I know. You guys, like I said, you have more people that I could even begin to to name that's on there. But throw out a couple of names of people that you guys represent. Um, Nick Groff. Uh, we've got uh, the Ghost Hunters cast. We've got Jason and um, Steve and Tango and Chris Williams. We've got Dustin Parry that we will book into things. We've got the Finding Bigfoot cast. We've got Cliff Bobo, Moneymaker Renee. Um We've got uh, the Mountain Monsters cast. Um, all of those guys are ours. And I'll tell you, man, this is one thing that and I don't know how he does it. Honestly, I know how he kind of does it. But Lee goes f- above and beyond s- tracking these people down that he knows would be good for us. And he, he makes contact with them. Lee is the reason why Ghost Adventures came to Scarefest in 2009. Because he reached out to him. Um, so, you know, he's the one that kind of establishes some of these relationships. And then I'll come back and we'll kind of get a contract together for him. And we we all three help book events. But he, he has events that he works with solely. And he does a whole lot of out there work. Because, uh, you know, Lee and Jennifer have a son that's still playing ball and stuff. So she sometimes has to hang back and make sure that happens. And her job may not allow her to travel as much. And then I just had a baby last year. So it's harder for me to get out there to everything. So Lee goes out for us and represents us and, and make sure that everything's taken care of. But he searches out these people and we've got some of the most hard to find people that we've put in a place where people can book them and we still have people that we don't really have on our roster that we book um like david pilatus will bring him offers josh gates will bring him offers so i mean there are people that are not necessarily signed on the roster that we still help get booked or we can reach out to so if anybody ever has any type of situation where they're looking for a particular person that may not be on our list and to contact us through the webpage, and we're happy to try to help. Well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure as usual. Uh, I love talking to you anytime that we get the opportunity, and it's the first time we've had you on the show. But uh, like I said, it's it's been an absolute blast. You know, we were all over the place today, and and you know, I don't know that it's just my brain and um, Lee and Jennifer's brain kind of spilling out into the world of. Here's we are and here's what we do. But my God, 
when I start to talk about it, I don't even know how we get this stuff done. So uh, it's, hopefully we can come back and talk maybe more in depth about the Anderson Hotel. There's so much there. We can talk about Bigfoot and cryptids and whatever else. But anytime that we do anything, y'all are always welcome. And uh, I just, I really enjoy the stuff and I love seeing you all grow. And it, it's just awesome to see, to try to help people out is I think the reason we do a lot of things. Well, and I can honestly say, and, and you know, people, there's a lot of negativity in the paranormal world right now. You'll, you'll see a lot of bickering back and forth on Facebook. And then you'll see some people that are, you know, super, <clears throat> super pro, uh, para unity. And that's good to see that. I, I just, everybody that we've met through you guys, including you guys are some of the nicest people that I've ever met in my life. I don't think anybody will ever know how, how good of a person Nick Groff is. I don't think people will know how good of a person Mike Couch is, but you and Jennifer and Lee, I mean, some of the biggest hearts of anybody I've ever met. And, and that says a lot. A glimpse into why that is, is we do not work with anybody that has any type of controversial issues. Um, we will stay away from it because, you know, we're from the standpoint of, you know, you get what you put out there. So if you're putting a lot of negativity out there, then you're going to get that back. And we try to be positive. We try to work with positive locations and positive people because we just want positive things. Uh, we don't have time for negativity. Like I say, this is not our sole means of income. Um, it's a nice little bump on the side, but uh, you know, if it comes down to it and uh, we don't have this tomorrow, then we're not going to be homeless. So, I mean, you know, it's just we try to do right by people and we want people to do right by us. And we're just that's kind of what we put out there. I, I don't that's one reason I'm glad I'm over the hotel again is because I only want positive things and positive groups to come in there. Um, I, I just I'm very protective over the people that are good to us like you. And uh, it's just it's the way it is. It, there's no reason to have controversy and fights and arguments there's enough out there for everybody give the uh, website to the uh, anderson hotel again before we get out of here so that one is oldandersonhotel.com. that's where you can find out all the information about private investigations public investigations um there's an event i'm going to be doing there called raw fear that's loosely based on the old mtv fear show um and you can find out all the information there it's oldandersonhotel.com. And what other websites do you want to give out to uh, to help promote things you got going on? The Ghost Walk is uh, kyghosttours.com. You can get all the information about the Ghost Walk. We have four walks left, Friday, Saturday this week, and then uh, we end on the 29th of October. So whenever they hear this. And then uh, they can get information on other events and stuff there as well. You've got uh, cryptidcon.com. That's uh, November 19th and 20th in Lexington, Kentucky at the Clarion Hotel off Newtown Pike. We have tickets available there. You get them. Uh, there will be good, good, good amount of people there. Um, and then, of course, creepytalent.com. That's for creepy people management. If anybody's looking for event uh, people to come out and speak, whatever the case may be, let us know at uh, creepytalent.com. Well, I can't thank you enough, Jeff. It's a pleasure, and I can't wait to see you soon. All right. We'll see you soon.
All right, Trace, that wraps it up for this week. We hope everybody had a good weekend, and we hope everybody has a happy Halloween. Yeah, have a blessed week, everybody. We love y'all.